Good morning, Woodland Hills. You all look wonderful, and I'm sure all of you on the pod congregation look wonderful too, though I can't see you. But uh, everyone who attends Woodland Hills Church, it's well known that, that we're all just good looking, okay? It just goes without saying, so. And we're also quite self-deceived. I'm Greg Boyd. I'm a teaching pastor here. Uh, thanks to Dan and Oshida, who did such a great job the last two weeks. We're so, so blessed to have uh, uh, such gifted teachers here, and just really appreciate them. Hope you all had a great turkey day. Thanksgiving and time with your family, and I hope you have repented of the gluttony that you undoubtedly indulged in. <laughs> I'll tell you, that's great. Okay, I've been asked to give two infomercials before I start my message. Uh, the first one is that there's three ways that you can, we've been on a series on spiritual disciplines, and there's, there's three different ways you can go further with this. If you want to connect deeper on this, go you know, study it more. Uh, we have uh, uh, a weekly group that it's called Life on Purpose. Uh, and they meet and discuss these kind of things. You can check out that. There's also the, the gathering groups that we have uh, every week. I encourage everyone to get a, be, be part of that. Uh, you just talk about the sermon and go deeper with it. And then Scott and Shauna Bourne are going to be teaching a class called Everyday uh, Spiritual Practices. A real practical uh, class on applying these spiritual disciplines. So you might want to check out one of those three different things. Second infomercial has to do with the lift that Paige just talked about. Um, this great ministry that Sandra Unger started, and, and they, they minister to at-risk youth. Uh, they have these awesome greeting cards, and I encourage you to support that ministry by buying these greeting cards. Um, some of you know, in fact, most of you probably know, that we, we, when we bought this building, a theater came with it. And uh, we have, for the last 20-some years, been using that. It, the, the Lyft has been using that theater as a job training thing. And it's also a service to, to the community. We have these second-run uh, movies and we offer them cheaply, and, and so it's really been a good thing. Of course, that got shut down like everything else did with COVID. And some people have been asking, well, when's that going to reopen? Yeah. You like those $2 movies? And the answer is we don't know. We really, you know, everything got turned upside down with this COVID stuff, and, and, uh, including the movie industry. And so a lot of folks are saying that second-run theaters are a thing of the past. They're gone because, as you may have noticed, uh, Hollywood now, most of the movies, they go right from the, the big screen to, to, the, to live streaming or stream, streamlining or whatever it's called. And, 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 and so they just bypass second-run theaters altogether. So we don't know if there's going to be enough available to be uh, offering stuff. So we're, it's, we're going to wait and see it's kind of a, a period. If we can afford to do it, we want to do it because it's a good community service. It's great job training and all the rest. But we just don't know, so hang tight. Okay, so we're closing up this series that we've had on spiritual disciplines, and, and what I want to speak about this morning is, I, I really believe, and I probably say this too much, but, but it, it just feels like it, it is the most important thing when it comes to spiritual disciplines. Uh, it's also one of the least talked about things, and it has to do with the use of our imagination. Our imagination. Uh, this is a foundational teaching here at Wilderness Old Church. It's something that we really hang our hat on, and we believe is so important, so I come back to this about once a year, and I'm aware that we've, we've picked up a couple hundred new people in the last year or so, so I thought it'd be a good time to review this, and it's always good to review this material because it's so foundational and so important. Whenever I've taught this, I, I have, just about every time I've ever taught on this, I have, I get feedback from folks uh, who say that the coin dropped in the slot, it, 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 it was a game changer, their spirituality came alive, it's just they're experiencing things differently because they have now learned how to surrender their imagination over to the Holy Spirit uh, and, and to use that in their spiritual disciplines. We today 
modern folks, Western modern folks, tend to associate imagination with children, make-believe, pretend stuff. And it's true that imagination can allows you to pretend. And that can just be entertaining. Uh, you imagine you know, a different story or, or, or whatever. And that's fine. Imagination can also be, however, the foundation, in fact it is, the foundation for all sin. Uh, all sin begins with you imagining the world other than the way the world actually is, other than the way that God reveals it to be. You look at Genesis 3, and the first thing that, that, that the enemy did, the serpent did with Eve, was said, imagine. <laughs> you know, imagine, think about this. What if God's not telling you the truth? What if it's not true that in the day that you'll eat of this tree, you'll surely die? What if God doesn't have your best interest in, in mind? Imagine that. And Eve begins to imagine God being differently, and then she acts on it. We always act on what we imagine to be true. So what we imagine is very, very important. We either imagine a world that's in line with God's will or a world that's in line with our own will, against God's will, and that's what sin is all about. But see, biblical authors, they knew that while imagination can take us away from reality, whether it's in, to pretend or whether it's to sin, Biblical authors and, in fact, ancient people in general also understood that the imagination can give you access to a different dimension of reality. It can open you up to spiritual reality. It can be the portal. It's supposed to be the portal by which you have access to the spiritual realm. Um, <clears throat> and so in the, in the church tradition, they referred to the, the imagination as the inner sanctum, the inner sanctuary. The, little, the, the place in our, in our minds where we encounter the living God and really engage with the living God. You find it throughout the Bible, though we don't always recognize it. Um, like in, in the Bible, on occasion when God speaks to somebody or you know, God reveals something, on occasion, it's, it's objective. It's part of the objective world. Any, anyone who was around at the time could hear this or see this. Like when the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, uh, everyone heard that, although they were confused about what exactly it said. Some thought it thundered or whatever, but, but it was an objective reality. On occasion, God speaks that way, but not usually. God's usual mode of communication is more subjective, more private. Uh, I, God gives a vision or a, a, can send a dream or gives a word, but more often than not, it's something that only the person who's getting it sees or hears. That's in Daniel 7, I think it is, where Daniel had this vision, but said no one else could see the vision. In fact, the word in Hebrew for vision is the same word as dream. It's just that the vision happens while you're awake, while the dream happens while you're asleep. But both of them happen in what we today would call our imagination. That's how God speaks to us. It's our inner portal. It's very, very important. I, I, I really sincerely believe that God is still speaking today, and he's still speaking the way he's always spoken. What's changed is that we've lost the art of listening. And to a large degree, we've lost the art of listening because we've discredited our imagination, thinking it's only just our imagination. And so I, I, I suspect that all followers of Jesus today, we get promptings and words and impressions and urges and this kind of still small voice stuff in our imagination. We get that as, as much as they had it back in the biblical times. It's just that we tend to dismiss it. Yeah, that's just a weird thought. And we dismiss it usually because it, it would interfere with our plans to listen to it. There's a little urge to say, oh, hey, t -t -t take time out of whatever you're doing and go talk to that person or go help this person or call up so-and-so. The Spirit's directing us all the time. But we, if we were to do that, we'd have to give up doing what we planned on doing. And, and since that's just our imagination, we tend to dismiss it. 
Maybe it's automatic. We don't even have to think about it. It's like, ah, forget that. And we go on with our business. And the result of all that is this, that we're a people who submit our life to Christ. That's what it is to be a Jesus follower. We submit our life to Christ, but none of, our, none of the particular moments that make up our life are submitted to Christ. Because God can't get a word in edgewise. He's trying to, okay, if I'm Lord of your life, I get to have say, right? So why don't you go over there and talk to that person? And we just like, nah, that's a weird thought, and go on about our, our business. So on a moment-by-moment basis, we're not submitted to Christ. If we want to be used by God, be part of the functional body of Christ, where we can begin to see kingdom things happen in our life, we need to start giving our imagination more authority, start listening to that, start acting on those inner impressions, those inner impulses. And that's when things really get interesting and exciting. We want to hear and be used by God, we've got to give our imagination more authority, more credibility. But it's not just about our being effective as, as the body of Christ. Uh, when we're talking about our imagination, we're talking about our whole relationship with Christ. Uh, the, your relationship with God will be completely determined by, by how you imagine God to be. The thing is this, all of our emotions, and listen to this, and I won't charge you extra for this, but this is really useful. All of our emotions, we think our emotions are caused by things outside of ourselves. They're not. Our emotions are all associated with the images and impressions and the videos and the soundtracks that we're running in our mind. And we run those in response to what's going on outside of ourselves, but the emotion is associated with the images that we have. And to the degree that any, you imagine anything vividly or, or, or real-like, the more vivid it is, the, the, more, the more impact it has on you, the more, the, the, more, the more emotion it creates. If I were right now to imagine the last time I was frustrated with Shelly, Hi, honey. Love you. Uh, it was years and years ago, I'm um, sure. can hardly remember it. But if I can enter into that imagination, if I can, our memory is all about imagination. We, 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 our mind's capacity to entertain images, whether it's sound or sight or whatever. But if I enter into that frustrated feeling I had, I can re-experience that frustration. <laughs> On the other hand, if I imagine a pleasant memory, which I just had this morning... <laughs> Um, if, if I think about her, you know, in, in, a, in a pleasant way, we uh, remember a fond circumstance, or like yesterday with a family, we're laughing, having some, if I enter into that, the more concretely I think about that, the more it recreates that emotion of fondness. In fact, this, this is so important, you guys. Show me a bad marriage, two people who are, aren't happy being married together, and I guarantee you, I, I, I can show you two people who, they think very vividly about the negative aspects of their relationship. When they're apart from each other, they ruminate on how bad they got it. And they do it vividly, and so it recreates those negative emotions. So when they come together, guess what? They're coming together with all this negative stuff, which greatly increases the chances that they're going to have another negative experience. But show me two people who are in a happy marriage, and I'll show you two people who... When they think about their marriage, they tend to think about positive stuff and they tend to think about that vividly. Now, they've got negative stuff because everyone's got negative stuff, but they don't ruminate on it. If they think about it, they think about it not very vividly and, and, and not very long. Their concentration is on the positive stuff. So when they come together, guess what? Well, they have all sorts of positive feelings, which greatly increases the odds that they're going to have a positive experience. With our imagination, we create momentum in our life, a trajectory in our life. That's why the Bible stresses so, so strongly, be careful about what you imagine. Be careful about what you think. It really does drive your life. Paul says, and I quote this all the time, Philippians 4.8, 
whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are beautiful, whatsoever things are noble, think on those things. Which means if it's not beautiful, if it's not true, if it's not noble, if it's not good, then don't think about it. Don't imagine that. Put it out. Imagine what's good, what's true, what's positive. If you're not intentional with your, how you imagine God, then the way you feel about God is going to depend on whatever happens to be in your brain at the time. If you have a positive image, you might feel kind of positive. If you have a negative, you might feel kind of negative. But, but it's, it's random because you're not being intentional. Or, maybe even more likely, if you're not being intentional about how you imagine God, what you do with your imagination, um, chances are you, won't, you don't feel anything at all. You believe in the concept of God, but it's just a concept. It's not an experienced reality for you. Um, it'd be like if, if I'm thinking about my wife, but I don't imagine her. If I just, also, if I don't, if, the only way I can think about my wife and not imagine her is to th- think about information. So I could give you a bunch of information about her. She's this tall, she weighs this much, she's eye color, whatever. I could give you all this information, but there's no feeling associated with that. It's just information. You might be like this guy I knew, met him a couple years ago, tends to here at Woodland Hills Church, but it's, this guy, is, he's, he's in his 30s, uh, he's kind of a, a cerebral type, we get a lot of those around here, uh, a little bit of egghead, and sometimes us eggheads tend to have trouble tapping into our feelings. But this guy was ready to give up on the faith, and it wasn't because of any arguments he heard or anything that refuted his faith, it's because he says, I'm tired of living in an unreality. He says, my, my, this, this walk with God, it's, it's, I live it out, but I do it as a duty. Uh, I pray, but it's a monologue. I never hear back. People talk about, oh, I, I feel the Holy Spirit. I feel God's love. I feel, you know, whatever. And he says, I've never felt any of that. And I'm tired of this. It's like a philosophy I'm living, but it's not an experienced reality. I shared with him what I'm going to share with you now in the next 15, 20 minutes. Um, and and um, it, it was a game changer for him. Uh, it, it, about how to use your imagination. Because I know if, if someone's not feeling anything in the relationship with God, it's because something's not happening between their ears. And, uh, and when this guy learned how to get in touch with that, and what he's doing with his, imagining the reality that he's believing in, it got him in touch with his emotions because all of our emotions are associated with what we're imagining. Pictures in our head, whether we are aware of it or not. And he, he, he said he, he just, he had been, I saw him two weeks after we first met, and he says, I'm uncorked. I'm, I just, I've never been able to cry, hardly ever. He says, now I can't turn it off. My wife loves it. He goes, but I'm a mess. He finally got in touch with his feelings. So listen up, husbands. There's, there's actually fringe benefits to this. You might get in touch with more than just God. Maybe you'll get in touch with you. Okay. Uh, I'm going to apply this imagination to several uh, uh, spiritual disciplines, but I first want to read the text, kind of the classic text on which uh, this imaginative prayer is based. And you need to know, and I don't have time to go into this now, but but there's been a long uh, tradition in church history, though most of us probably haven't heard of this before, uh, kind of got dropped out of Protestantism, but there's a long tradition of folks being intentional about how you imagine God and, and the use of imagination, St. Ignatius of Loyola and Origen in the second century, and on and on and on. So this is not at all a new thing. But for the most part, it was based on this text. It comes from 2 Corinthians. And uh, it's chapters 3 and the first part of chapter 4. Listen to this. Oh, I should set it up this way. 
Paul here is drawing an analogy based on this episode in the Old Testament where Moses would go to meet with the Lord in this tent of meeting, it was called. And when he would come out, his face would be radiating, like it's radioactive. And his peers couldn't take the brightness of it, so they had to put a veil over him to conceal that glory. So Paul's going to base an analogy on that episode to talk about the difference between believers and non-believers. So listen to this. Paul says, but their minds, stop there, their minds. He's talking about our minds. Okay, this whole episode's about what goes on in our minds. Their minds, the minds of unbelievers, were hardened. Indeed, to this very day when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there since only in Christ is it set aside. That veil that's over the mind. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses read, a veil lies over their minds, but when one turns to the Lord, that veil over the mind is removed. That's the difference between believers and unbelievers. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Everyone say amen. Freedom. Freedom to see something you couldn't see before. That's why he goes on to say, all of us, with unveiled faces, with unveiled minds, Seeing in the mind the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, we're being transformed into that same image that we have in our mind from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit, who set us free to do all this. We're free to see something we couldn't see before. And then he goes on to say in the, the next chapter, but in the original, of course, there's no chapter differentiation. He says, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, talking about Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing, in their mind, in their imagination, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image, the icon of God. For it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness. This God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We're able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we behold that glory in all of its beauty, uh, we're transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another. So it's what we see in our mind, in our imagination, that determines what we become. We take on the beauty of the one that we're gazing upon, if the one that we're gazing upon is truly beautiful. So the difference between a believer and a non-believer is what takes place in the mind. Because we have a different kind of faith, we imagine a different kind of reality when we think about Jesus Christ. Paul said, I once thought of Jesus Christ just in the flesh, according to the normal human way point of view, where what you see is what you get. But now, when, he, when the Spirit opened up his heart and he yielded to that, he saw now something very, very different. He saw the beauty of God in the crucified Christ, and it was that beauty that compelled him to do what he did, that motivated him on. We always act on what we imagine to be true. Notice that Paul says here, we, 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 we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as though reflected in a mirror or through a mirror. So when we imagine Christ and, the, and we invite the Holy Spirit in on this, um, this isn't the face-to-face -face contact with Christ that we'll have at the end of the age when we'll see him as he is for we shall be like him, 1 John 3. Uh, this is not that. It's a mediated kind of interaction. It's mediated through our imagination. But though it's mediated, it still is real. We're, Paul assumes here we really are encountering the real Jesus, the living Jesus. We're not seeing him exactly as he is because it's mediated through our imagination, but we still are genuinely seeing him. It's not just our imagination. 
Yes, we are imagining. That's true, but it's not just our imagination. If the Holy Spirit is in it and we're, we're imagining the real Jesus, then Jesus is really present there. And we become, as I said, we become the Jesus that we, that we, we, we take on the likeness and the glory, the beauty of, of, of the one that we're beholding. As I behold the Lord's love and experience God's love and bask in that love, I become more loving. As I bask in his joy, I become more joyful. And I, if I bask in his peace, gaze upon his peace, the beauty of his peace, I become more peaceful, which transform from one degree of glory to another. See, it's, it's, it, it was the beauty of Christ that compelled Paul. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm compelled. You want to know why I gave up my whole plus life as a Pharisee and I had it going well and now I'm a church planner. I'm thrown in prison and I'm shipwrecked and I'm beaten up. and all. You want to know why I do that? Because I can't help myself. I'm compelled by the love of Christ. He's, he's imagining something. If one died for all, then all have died. He's got an image in his mind that's beautiful, that's motivating him to do what he does. That's how the kingdom is supposed to work. We're not supposed to be motivated by fear or awe or religious duty, obligation or whatever. Yeah, there's times when we've got to do that, but that shouldn't be the fuel that the kingdom runs on. We should be a people who are motivated by beauty. The beauty of the God that we serve, the beauty of our creator, the beauty of our savior, the beauty of our best friend, our lover, the beauty of the head, and we are the body that compels us, praise God. I tell you what, you get someone who's, who's fallen in love, and they will do more for the kingdom than a thousand oughts, shoulds, gotta do, better do, or, or else. A person who's motivated by love, they'll turn the world upside down. And that's why the world was turned upside down, compelled by the love of Christ. So we always say around here, it's probably the most fundamental teaching that we have, and it, it will all, you can't repeat it enough, but everything hangs on the beauty of your mental conception of God. When you think of God, what do you envision? Is it beautiful? Is it, is it compelling? Does it motivate you? It comes down to this. Can we believe, can we believe and trust and imagine God to be as beautiful as, as Jesus reveals him to be? Can, can, we, can we imagine God who is all light and in whom there's no darkness? God who is all truth in whom there's no deception. God who is pure beauty itself in whom there is no ugliness. God who is kindness itself in, in, in whom there's no cruelty. God who's all, all together for you and not in any sense against you. Can we dare to believe that, have faith in that, trust that, and imagine that concretely? What does that look like? To believe in that kind of God. That beautiful God. Imagination is all important. So I'm, I'm going to here apply it uh, to just seven different, really quickly, seven different aspects of our, our, of our faith walk. How important imagination is. All right. So first of all, it is the essence of our faith. It's the essence of faith. Hebrews 11, I quote it all the time. The Darby translation, because it's the best one. But it says that now faith is the substantiating, the word there is hypostasis of things hoped for or anticipated, and the conviction, elegkos, of things not seen. That's the definition of faith. And then throughout Hebrews 11, he illustrates what faith looks like as people live it out. They have a vision. They're looking for a heavenly city that no one else can see. It's what they see in their imagination, and that moves them on. That's what faith is all about. So faith is, you take something that you anticipate, something that you believe to be true but don't yet see, and you imagine it. You make it concrete, hypostasis. You, you, you have a concrete way of envisioning that. And that concrete way of envisioning what you believe to be true, what you anticipate, it creates in you a conviction that it is so. It led costs. And the more vividly you imagine that, 
the, more, the, the deeper the conviction is that it is so, and then you act on that. In fact, you can show this neurologically. Now we have neuroscience that shows, shows all this. The more vividly you envision anything, the more it impacts you, the more it motivates you to do things. That's what faith is all about. So what goes on between your ears is all important. Jesus says, according to your faith, be it unto you. He's not there giving a, 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 a religious secret or something. He's simply giving a life principle. According to your faith, be it unto you. Because all other things being equal, the life you live is the life that you imagine. Whew, falling apart here. The, 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 what you do in your imagination is going to motivate you to go in one direction or the other. The, the folks who are in a bad marriage, and when they're apart from each other, they're thinking the negative thoughts, and how could she do this, and how could he do that, and they're, they're, that's concrete, and it's creating all this negative conviction that this is how their marriage is going to be. They're actually practicing, they're, they're having faith that their marriage is going to stay bad. Maybe it's that it's going to end. Maybe they are, maybe are going to counseling, maybe they, they want to make it work, but they don't realize it, but they're having faith that it won't work. They're practicing that, and so... According to your faith, be it unto you. You come together having faith all day long that your spouse is just a jerk. Well, when you get together, you feel like he, she's a jerk and he's a jerk. And, and so you're going to get jerkiness. You, you bring that to the table. That, 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 according to your faith, be it unto you. Conversely, people who think fondly about their spouse or fondly about their friend or who, you apply it, however it lands in your life. But they're practicing faith that it's good. And according to your faith, be it unto you. When they come together, well, they're going to tend to have a good experience because they're having faith for that. According to your faith, be it unto you. So pay attention to what, what are you having faith for? What are you having faith for? Uh, what, what images do you entertain throughout the day? About your friend, about whatever, your boss, your worker. It applies everywhere. What are you having faith for? Whatsoever things are good, noble, true, beautiful, think on those things. If it's not that, then don't imagine it. Don't think about it. Set it aside and turn your mind to something that's positive. That's what faith is all about. Number two, practicing the presence of God. Brother Lawrence uh, said this is the most foundational of all disciplines and it encompasses all the other ones. And it's, it's the simplest to do. It's, simple, it's so simple, but it's, it's hard to remember. And that's simply this. Be aware that you're in the presence of God at all times. Try to reserve a little bit of mental space for that awareness. Because wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the most important fact about that moment is that God is there. And so you're only being more consistent, you're only being truer with your thoughts when you imagine that. You're getting your mind to line up with, with an aspect of reality, namely that God's always present there. I have, um, well, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm in a weird place uh, something's changing in me, and I don't know what it is. I feel a little bit lost. I have, for the last three months, been going at least five times a week, five days out of the week, going on walks with my dog. And um, it started, I'd take her out in the morning and, and let her hunt for bunnies. You know, she never catches them. In fact, a few times she's actually had a chance where she could have jumped on them, but she's afraid of them. <laughs> but, but she loves to chase. And no, it's true. She, she came up on this little tiny bunny one time, and I, I was wondering, like, oh, she's going to bite it. And, and, and she didn't. She just stared at it, gave it a head start, and then she chased it again. So, so she's, she's a pacifist dog. Okay, I've, I've raised her well. She's a pacifist. But it's evolved now, and, and, and the, the bunnies are pretty much gone. But we've been going to different parks. Every day, I take her to a park. Um, do you know the Twin Cities has over 500 hiking trails? I, I didn't realize we had all this. And I'm just discovering this. I got this app that shows you where all the parks are, and I just go to a different one every day, and some of the scenes are just gorgeous. It's magnificent. But when I'm on these walks, 
Uh, there's two things that my, I, 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 I focus on. First is, I focus on how I'm walking. I call it I chi walking. Because I, I, I've got a kind of a bad back, and, and every step I take is, is a little jarring. So if I don't pay attention to how I'm walking, after an hour or so, I, can't, I have to quit because my back's killing me. But if I walk very, very lightly, very smoothly, I, I don't quite look just like this. I'm doing it slow motion. But you gotta, I have to roll off my feet. And so my feet absorb all the shock. It's, I call it Aichi walking. And I can walk for two hours like this. And the back hardly gets worse at all. So I focus on Aichi walking. Aichi. And then uh, I, my mantra is, in him, or sometimes it's in her, I live and move and have my being. In him, I live and move and have my being. And I'm just walking, Aichi walking through the presence of God out in nature. And it's hit me in ways that, I've always loved walking in nature. That's not new. But I've never quite, I've never been this intentional at communing with God while I'm doing it. And it's hit me in a different way. Normally, I'm, you know, do cataphatic or imaginative prayer. I'm imagining Jesus and all the rest. Here, I just, I just it hits at a level that's deeper than thought. It hits at a level that's deeper than thought or, or images. I just kind of soak it in. But I, I, I imagine that sometimes I, I'll feel the wind and I'll imagine that as being the presence of God because God is closer to me than the air that I'm breathing. So I just have a way of just sort of imagining that. I, I'm like a fish in the ocean and I'm swimming through God's presence. You're, every moment of your life, it's just really, every moment of our life, is we're surrounded by the presence of perfect love and perfect beauty. Um, and that beauty and that love is turned towards us. So imagine that and try to cultivate that as, as, as sort of a, a, the background against which you experience everything else. We're always in the presence of God. Let God be the imagined background of all that you experience because he is, because she is. God's always present there. So faith and practicing the presence. Third one is prayer. Show me two groups of people. Uh, one group gets into prayer. Man, they just pray all the time. Uh, like like, like Toki Olatoy, she, she just prays all the time. She's just a prayer warrior. Versus folks who don't get into prayer. It's like they do it five minutes a day, ten minutes maybe, but it's just work and it's boring. The difference between these two groups is not necessarily that one is more spiritual than the other, though it looks that way. But looks are always deceiving. The difference between these two groups is that, one, that the group that gets into it, I guarantee you, there's something going on between their ears that isn't going on with the group that doesn't get into prayer. When this group prays, they're envisioning who they're praying to and what they're praying about. And maybe they were taught that, or maybe they just did it naturally. I've always just imagined, I've always just visualized Jesus and all the rest when I pray. It wasn't until I was in my 30s I, I discovered that a lot of people don't do that. And, and they suffered because of it. That's when I got on this whole teaching of, about imagination. Um, this group, it, it, the stuff going on in their imagination, the other group, when, when they pray, it's just, it's just they're talking to a wall. They do it because they're supposed to do it, but, but, but it, it just doesn't, it doesn't register as real to them because the brain is wired such that only what is concrete and vivid, real-like, feels real to us. When I envision my wife concretely, it feels real. That's why it has more impact on me. And so these groups, when they pray, they're envisioning things. Whereas the other group, they're just talking to walls. The wall. uh, St. Francis de Sales, a 16th century monk, he said that, that our mind is like a wild bird flying around the room to and fro until we put it into the cage of our imagination. Imagination helps us focus. It gets concrete. 
See, because your brain's wired to think about what is real, if, if you're praying and, and you're not envisioning anything in a real-like way, your brain is going to want to gravitate to something that is real. Because real is, is important. Unreal is not important. And so you start to pray, but all of a sudden you're thinking about, you know, the turkey you got to cook or the place you got to go or the thing you got to buy or whatever. It's like a wild bird flying all around until you put it into the cage of that imagination. Imagination helps you focus. So when I pray, and everyone does this differently and asks the Spirit to, to lead you, how you do it will be different than the way I do it. I think I, we're all a lot weirder on the inside than we ever let on, okay? So a lot of weird stuff can, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I'm just, I really am as weird as I thought. But um, I'm assuming that we're all kind of the same and that we're all weird. Um, and, and, and so the Holy Spirit will customize it. But like when I pray for folks, I often envision like this helicopter spotlight coming down on them, a light beam. And, and it, that just represents this kingdom blessing that's being released as I'm praying. And when I envision that, I'm thinking more accurately than if I don't envision that because it, as a matter of fact, when I'm praying, kingdom power is being released on them. So I'm just getting my mind, my imagination to line up with what is real. But as I envision that, see, that, that keeps me motivated. That, that's, that's, me, that's me doing a hypostasis on the thing that I believe to be true, though I can't see it. Uh, I'm making it concrete, substantial, and that creates a conviction in me that it, that it is so. And that motivates me to keep on praying. Um, you're always motivated by what, it, what feels real to you. But if you're not having anything like that going on, well, then there's nothing to motivate you. Sometimes when I'm playing uh, like a warfare prayer, rebuking the devil or whatever, I actually will envision in my mind's eye like these little gremlin creatures. <laughs> and I rebuke them, and they, 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 they scatter, they run. Now, of course... That's not exactly what demons look like. Um, I don't know what demons look like. Do they look like anything? But it doesn't matter. I'm representing it. It's, it's a way of imagining it. And that makes it feel real, and that keeps me in the game. So I encourage you, ask the Spirit to help you imagine it as you pray for people. Think about the person you're praying to. And, and have the Holy Spirit can represent some way that you're blessing them, or however he leads. It will change your prayer life. I also encourage you, don't have, it's not a rule here or anything, but try this. Because what, 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 the more concrete something is, the more real it feels to us, try sometimes praying out loud. Um, just Because that's the way you usually talk to people, right? And so that feels real. Talk to God that way. So if you're just thinking it, it may be one step removed from reality in your mind's eye, and so it will feel less real and be less impactful. Four, uh, worship. Show me two groups of people. One group gets into worship, the other one doesn't. I guarantee you, there's something going on in the minds of the group that gets into it that's not going on in the minds of those that don't. Envision who you're singing to and what you're singing about. Enter into that different world and, 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 and do it as vividly as possible and ask the Spirit to help you and watch what happens. You know, there's, when, when folks sometimes get teary-eyed when we're worshiping or they get moved you know, in worship, it's because of something that the Spirit's doing in their heart and in their mind. And if, if folks who don't have that they might be puzzled, like, how do people get all emotional during worship and stuff? Well, it's because they're seeing, if you saw what they saw, you'd be having the same experience. So try seeing what they're seeing. Uh, one of the freedoms that we have as believers is that our, the veil's been removed, praise God. Let's use it and watch how it blesses you and transforms you from one degree of glory to another. Fifth, Bible reading. Um, St. Ignatius of Loyola, a uh, 16th century monk, he, he, he actually was the guy who probably wrote the most on, on, on uh, imaginative prayer or what in the tradition was called cataphatic prayer. And by the way, I have a book on this called Seeing is Believing. 
if you want to go a little deeper with, with all of this. But he says, when, when, you, when you read the Bible, read with all five senses. Love that phrase. In fact, he said that just in meditating. Meditate with all five senses. Pray with all five senses. It really is how we think. We think by replicating our sense experience on the inside. So, so as you're reading the Bible, ask, what do you see? What do you hear? Enter into maybe the perspective of one of the characters in the Bible. In fact, you can read a story and, and, and try out different characters. See it from the different perspectives who are in the story. And do it as vividly as possible. Now, I'll tell you, there are some Bible stories that you don't want to do this with. All right? Uh, a few of those Bible stories, Judges 19, for example. I'm not going to, I don't want to envision that. No. Uh, but, uh, but especially with the Gospels, enter into that. And, and, and just what, experience it like you would a movie, except you're 3D. You're part of the story. On that note, let me just give you a little advertisement here. Uh, it, it might help some people imagine the gospel stories. Uh, if you had a little prompter, like uh, there's this t- television series out there now called Chosen. Uh, have, have some of you seen that? That, that, that series? I, okay, I'll, I, I, I will admit to you that I am, I, I have this thing about Christian stuff. I just don't tend to like it much. Christian music, Christian movies, I, I, I don't like them. I, I don't know. I wish I did. I just don't. But this one, I like it's not corny, believe it or not. It's Christian and it's not corny. It's really good. Uh, and I, I, I like what they do with it. it, it, it it's, it's very imaginative. So you might find that, that helps a little bit. I'm not getting any royalties back from that, so just take it for what it's worth. The sixth application here is I call it just resting in Christ. And that's really what my book, Seeing is Believing, is all about. It's so important that all of us have pockets of time that we carve out to just be with Jesus. It's like in a marriage, you know, when you get married, you get married because you like being around each other. Hopefully, that's, you know, it helps. And, 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 and it, but see, if you're not careful, you find that after a number of years, all you're doing is paying bills together and raising kids together and doing chores together, but you're never actually just hanging out together. The reason why you got married, you're never doing. Best thing you can do for a marriage is to have times where you just are together and you just enjoy, enjoy being together. It's the same thing in our relationship with Christ. Uh, I call it having a date with Jesus. Um, make a time where, where it's just you and Jesus. And uh, we're physical creatures, so we're impacted by our physical surroundings and things. So pay attention to uh, ambiance. Uh, I always like to turn off the lights, and I like to put on some nice music in the background. Music is a gift. that can The right kind of music can open up your heart, make you more pliable. Uh, it can inspire imagination more. And, and, and this is the time where you put that music to darken the room, and then you just enjoy Jesus enjoying you. Enjoy Jesus enjoying you enjoying Jesus. It, it, just be together um, and, and gaze upon his beauty. Do what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. Gaze upon that beauty. Now, now what does seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ look like? Well, here's the thing. Um, I mean, does it doesn't mean you have to envision the, the kind of Western stereotypical Jesus with those long hairs and blue eyes or whatever? No. The physicality of Jesus isn't the point. God didn't come incarnate to tell us that he's really a male and five foot five and weighs 114 pounds, whatever Jesus weighed or however tall he was. Um, no, that's not the point. The point is the character. The character of God's revealed in Jesus Christ. And that character is pure, other-oriented, agape, self-sacrificial love. Agape, self so, so ask the Spirit to help you envision the revelation of God in Christ 
and to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and he'll apply it in a ways that will minister to you, and it'll be different for each of us, as long as that character that Jesus reveals is there. And if you're doing it right, it ought to wow you, because God is beautiful. God is glorious. And, and um, in fact, Paul says that the glory that God has in store for us can't be compared to the sufferings of this present world. Well, Whatever that glory that God has in store for us, it's just a reflection of his own glory, which means that God's glory is unimaginably, unsurpassably beautiful. So envision God as beautiful as you can possibly envision God and multiply it times 100, and that will just tell you you're moving in the right direction. I love to do this. In a world that is so ugly sometimes and so full of nasty, toxic, fighting, violence, arguments, I love to escape and just gaze upon the beauty of God. And sometimes it goes into the glory of heaven, and, and I just envision how the world's going to be as concretely as possible. Sometimes it moves me to tears. Um, and see, that is, that's how we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. Spend time gazing on the beauty of Jesus. You can't out-beautify Christ. His glory is unfathomable. And then finally, seven is, is healing. Um, Sometimes as I'm just spending time resting in Christ, and it, this is a date now, this isn't the time where you're going to make promises, you're not going to do chores, this isn't the time for intercessory prayers, or what should I do? This is the time when you get out of your workaholism, your gotta doism, and you just are okay being you. And see, that, that's, when the, that's how the Lord communicates to us that his love is for us, not our behavior. He loves us apart from all the behavior. His relationship with us isn't predicated on what we achieve for him or what we accomplish or anything like that just based on the fact that we are his children and uh, he considers us worth dying for. So rest in that beauty. But sometimes it happens that, at least in my experience, I will sometimes find myself back in a memory. I actually shared this uh, about a year ago, right around, almost exactly to this date, in a, in a sermon, the strangest sermon I've ever preached, if you can even call it a sermon, it's more like a therapy session in public, uh, but it's called Where's Mommy? And so you might want to check that out. It, it's a... It's a I find myself back in a memory because all of our wounds, our psychic wounds, are in, in, they're communicated in memories. And under the right circumstances, our brain brings up this memory because it's trying to remind us about what happened to protect us. And it will keep on doing this until we reprogram it. It goes on autopilot. And so if a lady who was abused by a guy with red hair, every time she sees a guy with red hair, she gets a little nervous. And she doesn't even make that connection, maybe. But her brain's saying, warning, warning, this could be dangerous. And we'll keep doing that until she's healed from that wound, whatever the wound may be. So I, I've shared a number of stories, and I have a few of these in, in Seeing as Believing, but how, how God's brought healing into my life. That's part of the process of gazing upon his beauty and being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Um, to go back to this whole point about it not being about physicality, I, I shared last year, and I'll share it now again, that my most dramatic healing experiences, because most of my wounds have were caused by a mother, most of my healings have been brought by a mother. And I, I, I have a relation with God as my heavenly mother that has just been so, so healing. Um, and, and the more we're healed from that, the more the, the, that's part of the process of the Spirit setting us free uh, from our past bondage, from our past wounds, and we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. I, I, I've shared a number of these experiences. I'll just share one that, which is a random one. Uh, 
But there's one time where my brother and I, my mom was giving us a bath, and we were in Lansing, Michigan. So I, we moved there when I was six. So I had to be before six, five, four or five years old. My brother's two years older than me, and we were both getting a bath from mom. And somehow, I don't know, we were mad at her for something. And my brother said, uh, we're going to run away. I said, yeah, we're going to run away. So my stepmother said, fine, run away now. And so she grabbed us both by our arms and threw us out the front door. Uh, it's in Michigan, Lansing, Michigan, and it was in the fall, and it was very cold. There wasn't any snow on the ground, but it was really cold. And so we're outside naked, wet, and steam's coming off of us. At first, we thought she was joking, but then it turns out she, she wouldn't let us back in. And um, I remember a car drove by, and I was just so embarrassed because we're naked out there. But in four or five minutes, we start shaking because we really are cold. We run on back so the people up front can't see us. We're trying to get in the house some way, but she locked all the doors, wouldn't let us in. And finally, I don't know how long it was, but it got to the point where we started taking it very seriously. And we we're shivering, just uncontrollably, begging her to let us back in, promising that we won't run away, promising that we'll love her. And finally, she did. Well, I, at one point, I just was back there again. My brother and I in the backyard, shivering, like, just shivering so cold. And I'm remembering this, and I'm seeing it vividly. And then I just, all of a sudden, this... The Lord comes up behind me and puts this warm, real furry blanket around me. And then just gives me this motherly hug and just squeezes me so tight. And it's just so warm and cozy. And see, the Lord can't change the past. The past is what happened. But the Lord can change the meaning of the past. And that's what's going on when he brings healing into our life. Uh, and it's so beautiful. There's times where... You know, most of the time when I imagine uh, the Lord and I'm interacting like this... It, it, it just feels like I'm imagining the Lord. And that's fine. As long as it's accurate and the character's there, it, that's great. But there are some times where things will happen in this, in this inner sanctum, in this inner space, that I know I could never come up with. Uh, and it's just beautiful to see the Lord doing this. And the Lord, just, the Lord displays his beauty or her beauty in relationship to the ugliness that I received, evaporates the ugliness and sets me free. The Lord wants to set all of us free. We walk around with so many, so much garbage. He wants us to purge us from that so we can be free. So I want to end here by just doing a little, having a moment of this. To spend five minutes just kind of practicing this. God's in this room. God's in your room, wherever you are. Why are you listening to this? If you're outdoors in nature, that's where God is too. I encourage you, if, if it's possible, to take five minutes here. Whatever you're doing in podcasts, and if you're, if you're driving, don't do this. <laughs> Wait till you get home. But block out everything. We'll lower the lights. And I'm just going to put on a song here. And, and invite the Lord into your life. I'm not going to say what you should do during this time. At the very least, though, enjoy God enjoying you. Uh, ask the Spirit to show you the beauty of God. And it might be for some of us that the Lord wants to, you to invite him into a memory uh, that you have wounding memory and see what the Lord will do there. The Lord's very creative. The Lord's incredibly beautiful. Let him, let him display his beauty. Let him heal you. Lord, we turn this time over to you. Come Holy Spirit, open up our eyes to see. Unveil our minds to see. Behold you in all your beauty, in all your glory, in all your grace. In Jesus' name.
Hey, I just so wish everybody could see that beauty. It changes everything to see the beauty of, of God. God is, it's why the enemy goes after a picture of God. The first thing the enemy does is go after a picture of God because it's, it's the treasure. It's everything. If we can behold that beauty, we're transformed into that beauty, and that's what it's all about, folks. So I pray that we use our imaginations in faith, practicing the presence of God in our prayer life, in our worship, in our Bible reading, and in resting with Christ and getting healed by Christ. The inner sanctum, it's a beautiful gift, beautiful treasure. We see it through a mirror darkly, but we do see. Be transformed by that. All right, amen. Um, if, uh, if you're going to be here next week, we'd like to know about that. So we can, if, if, well, if you have kids and you're going to be here next week, and please register your kids, you know that. Uh, and also we've got the, uh, the, I can't get my head in here, Musecast. I'm, I'm still out there in the third realm of heaven. I have to, got to get reincarnated here. Back to earth, Greg. Yeah, the Musecast on Tuesday at four o'clock, we have our, our gathering groups uh, that, that I encourage people to get involved in. And if, finally, if you could use prayer for anything, um, I encourage you to get online, uh, our podgregation, or come up front with our congregation and receive that prayer. Also, if, 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 if you have a sense that, that um, there's some more work that needs to be done, I'm sure there is, in terms of inviting Jesus into memories and receiving healing, uh, we have a, a prayer ministry here that, that if you want to make an appointment, you can sit down with some folks and, and they'll guide you through that if, if you need help with that. Um, so Lord, we just thank you for being the beautiful God that you are, for shining your light upon us, for revealing your beauty to us, Lord, remind us to be pursuing you, panting after you, seeking you first in all things, uh, imagining you in vivid, concrete, and beautiful ways according to truth. And Lord, be transforming us daily into your image. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Go out. Love on your neighbors.